Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we will see the glorious hope in Christ's return is the anchor for our souls. Many people live with no hope in thick despair. Noted atheist Bertrand Russell was born in 1872, died in 1970 at the age of 97, and in his autobiography he said this, We stand on the shore of an ocean, crying to the night and the emptiness, and sometimes a voice answers out of the darkness, but it is the voice of one drowning, and in a moment, the silence returns. Abject despair. He stipulated that when he died, that there would be no religious service, but just one minute of silence and Now, as far as we know, he abides in hell where there is no silence, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unbelieving Ernest Hemingway said, I live in a vacuum that is as lonely as a radio tube when the batteries are dead and there is no current to plug into. 18th century German philosopher Jean-Paul Richter said, we are orphans, you and I. Every soul in this vast corpse trench of a universe is utterly alone. There are some who live in utter despair. There are others who live in deception, with false hope, in muddy deception. I think of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists who are telling themselves everything's going to be all right, it's, it's going to work out. I think of people in churches who hear the gospel over and over and over again and then reject Christ. There are many who live with false hope and muddy deception. But for those who have a a glorious hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is delight. There is delight. Multitudes live with this glorious hope. I hope it's the hope that you have today. Because hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is assurance set on the promises of God. John Bunyan said, hope is never ill when faith is well. Emily Dickinson said, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in your soul and sings the tunes without the words and never stops at all. John Milton said, what reinforcement we may gain from hope. Tennyson called it the mighty hope that makes us men. And C.S. Lewis defined hope, a continual looking forward to the eternal world. Our hope in Christ is an anchor for our souls and delights our hearts. This passage we're in today, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, I struggled with preaching it. Weeks ago, I was thinking about it, thinking this is going to be the passage, next passage up on Christmas Sunday. You can't preach about the return of Christ on Christmas Sunday. Sometimes the obvious is just right in front of you and you don't see it. And as I started thinking about it even more, I thought, oh yes, this is the passage for us because we are not waiting for a baby to be born. We are waiting for our Savior to return. We, we just sang, oh holy night, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth. 
along lays the world now in sin and error pining till he reappears and we will see our Savior. It's the classic passage from the coming of Christ. And it's meant very clearly, if you look at verse 18, it's very clear that it's meant to encourage believers, that believers are to use these words to encourage each other with. But it was written because of confusion. It was written because of misunderstanding. The people were wrongly assuming, Christians were wrongly assuming that that Christians who died before Christ's return would miss the return. And they were grieved by the idea. They were, they were very grieved by this idea that they wouldn't be at such a glorious event. Now, we know the departure of a loved one brings grief to our soul. Paul did not want them to be grieved unending. He needed to answer the issue. And what he's going to tell us here is that there's no reason for, for a Christian to sorrow without hope when a fellow Christian dies as if some great loss had happened to them. It's our loss when they die. It's their gain. Glorious hope in Christ's return anchors your soul. I've mentioned recently that, that there's nothing more otherworldly in the life of a Christian or the life of a church than genuine love and hope. It's otherworldly. It's from God. Now, I want to say this before we dive into this passage, that there are some who require passages of Scripture to bear more weight than they are intended to carry. And that there are a lot of Christians that take passages of Scripture and make them bear the weight of their ideas. And they reduce Scripture to a proof text of their views. Aha, see, I'm right. I want us to take this passage as it's intended, not to find our views within it, but to enjoy it and to be shaped by what it says. Glorious hope anchors your soul. This is the glorious hope of Christmas. It's the glorious hope of every Christian, that of being with Christ forever. It's what every Christian should believe and agree on. Emmanuel, God with us. But the question at hand was, what will happen to believers who have died before Jesus comes back? And there are things that this passage tells us very clearly that we need to know if we want our hope fixed firm. Like, what will happen? Like, what will not happen? Like, what will it be like? And what do we do with this knowledge? These are the four questions that we will look at as we as we go through this passage, what will happen, what will not happen, what will it be like, and what do we do with this knowledge? There are truths that we must know. Begin with me in verse 13, because Paul says it very clearly. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, meaning we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to not know. And what, what this is, is identifying is you need to give very special attention to what is going to be said. Pay special attention to this. This is like behold in the Gospels. Listen up. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Literally, the sleepers. They had concluded that those who sleep, those who had died, would miss the glory of the Lord's return. And he's correcting their false ideas. 
those who sleep, the dead in Christ. We know this. Death is temporary for Christians. Sleep is a familiar New Testament euphemism for death, and it describes the appearance of the deceased. When you go to a funeral, and oftentimes the casket isn't open, but if it is, you know, if you ever see a dead person, what you'll notice is it looks like they're sleeping. And he says, we, we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant. We don't want you to not know about those who, who have died believing in Christ so that you would not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. To grieve, we all know, we don't even need it defined for us. We know what it means to grieve. It, it literally is deep pain in your soul. It's, it's becoming very sad, very sorrowful, very distressed. And this is in the present tense. What, what he's saying is that you would not grieve unending, that you would not grieve with no end to the grief, as the rest who have no hope. Because those who have no hope, they grieve, and their grief is never met with hope. The general hopelessness of unbelievers in the presence of death is very well known. They have no hope. They're without God, without hope in the world, and they grieve, but not like a believer grieves. We're, we grieve, we're in pain, we're sad, we're sorrowful, we're distressed, and then we are, are shaped by comfort in the truth of the Word of God. Here, this is this unending grief that never ends. Others who have no hope. Hope is key. Hope is biblical. Hope is from God. Hope is an eager expectation of a promise being fulfilled. Hope is not, I, I wish this will happen. You know, I, I hope we have pancakes for breakfast, or I, I hope I get that job, or I, I hope this happens. That's, that's, I'm wishing, I'm hoping that it works out. But it's not based on any fact. Biblical hope is an eager expectation and an anticipation of a promise that will be fulfilled because it's got the backing of God and his word. It's got the authority of God. It's an expectation. It's not a wish. It's an assurance. You're looking for, you're waiting for something assured. In Matthew 12, 21, we read that in Christ's name, the Gentiles will hope. We read the same in Romans 15, 12, where it's a quote from Isaiah. Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Hundreds of hundreds of years of prophecies, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of a coming Messiah, and in him will the Gentiles hope. There will be an expectation and it will be something that will not be disappointed. It won't be something like, well, that didn't work out for you. How many things in your life just this past week did, well, it didn't work out? Didn't work out the way we had planned. Didn't work out the way we had anticipated. In Ephesians 2, we, we are rehearsed with the gospel how those in Christ, those believing in the finished work of Christ on the cross in their place for their sins, those used to be dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. But, Ephesians 2 tells us that God made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved through faith. And it goes on to say this, 
before you came to know Christ, you were separated from Christ, and you were alienated, and you were strangers to the covenants of promises, and you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. That's the case of these who have no hope because they don't have Christ. But what we read in Ephesians 2.13 is this, for a believer, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God made peace with his enemies through the blood of his cross, blood of the cross of Christ. So if you're a Christian today, before you knew Christ, you were utterly lost. You were without hope. You didn't have God. You didn't have the scriptures. And unless and until Jesus brought you near by his blood and made peace with you, his mortal enemy, you would remain lost. But a Christian is known biblically as redeemed, rescued, renewed, remade, regenerated. The dead are brought to life in Christ. It's the basis of our hope. Gives our hope objective reality. But before we go any further here and get into the details about what's going to happen when Christ comes, we need to realize there are multitudes who have no hope, who are living with no hope. Family members and friends and co-workers and neighbors with no hope. And they grieve unending over a loved one dying, over the loss of their health, over the loss of everything in their life with, with no hope, no expectancy of good from God, no, no answer to help them, nothing to hold on to, no anchor. Hebrews 6 tells us clearly that the hope we have in Christ is the anchor for our souls. It's a, it's a hope both firm and, and steadfast, and it enters within the veil, into the holy place, into the secret councils of the triune God. But there are so many with nothing but themselves. We, we know so many people that, that are living on flimsy, man-made solutions to all the issues of life. All it does is tie them tighter and tighter in knots and pull them further and further away from God. And Christians must not leave them drowning. We must, we must help. We must take them by the hand. We must preach the unfathomable riches of Christ found in the gospel. We must show them the hope that is found only in Jesus. They need to know. They must know. They're desperate to know. You're gathering with people daily, and, and you'll be gathering people at Christmas, most likely, who do not know. You need to give them a loving and gentle and humble and kind and strong and clear answer for the hope that's within you, the hope that anchors your soul, the hope that you have in Christ. Our job is to tell everyone. To proclaim the gospel by any means possible to people in desperate danger, and they don't even know how much danger they're in. They think everything's all right. But there are things we must know to have our hope fixed firm so that we can preach the gospel to others, so we can preach the gospel to our own hearts and our own homes. The first question is, what will happen what will happen 
Verse 14, the dead in Christ will be raised in Christ. That's what's going to happen. Verse 14 says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's a fact, it's true. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him, literally lead with him, bring with him, through Jesus, those who have fallen asleep, believers who have died. As Jesus died and rose again, there will be all the believing dead that will in him rise again and be reunited with their bodies forever. When Jesus comes back to collect his redeemed, which is this passage, and take them back to heaven, those who have died before that time will be taken back to heaven with the Lord, reunited with their bodies, their souls and their bodies reunited. Those who have fallen asleep. God is going to bring through Jesus those who have fallen asleep. They're, think about it. A, a believing relative of yours dies. You, you bury the body, you burn the body, you, you scatter the ashes, whatever, whatever your family chooses to do. And, and what happens for the believer is their relationship with Jesus continues on in heaven while their bodies are in the grave or floating through the air in ashes. And, and Jesus is going to bring their souls from heaven to be uni- reunited with their bodies. I've always, I've, I've wondered so many times, like, what's that going to look like? I mean, not just like bones and sinews and things going back together, but like ashes flying very, very fast. And, and he's going to do this and and this knowledge is to deliver us from grief that would not be based in hope i mean when 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 a loved one dies in christ your hope is fixed but your grief is legitimate you 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 deeply deeply are in pain sometimes for years But we need to remember that those who die in Christ are better off than those left behind. It's our pain. It's it's their gain. Uh, They're going to be full participants also in future resurrection and the glory of Christ's return. This is what Paul is telling them. The spirits of Christians departed, rest in Christ, in heaven. They behold him. They, They await the new heaven and the new earth. And this news that those who died will come with Christ helps us to die in peace. The guarantee of his return is significant. I think what's significant, too, is that Paul does not refer to Jesus' death as sleep. Jesus endured separation from God for the world's sins. By his death, Christian death is called sleep because your soul is still alive. What will happen? The dead in Christ will be raised in Christ. But but what will not happen? What will not happen? The living in Christ 
will not go before the dead in Christ when the dead and living in Christ are raised in Christ. The dead in Christ are first up. We're not going to jump the line. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Literally a direct revelation to the church. This is teaching previously hidden, this truth, this mystery. And interestingly, when we get into the next passage, you'll notice they were fully informed about the day of the Lord, but not this. He says, this is what we're declaring by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left, who are left behind, this present tense, it's, it's ongoing, Paul's speaking as if it's going to happen immediately, right? And in a moment, left until the coming, the arrival, it's the word parousia, the presence, the coming, the appearing of the Lord, of Jesus, will not proceed or go before those who have fallen asleep. That's what's not going to happen. We won't jump the line. They're going first. Now, until God revealed this, it had been a secret, and the only prior mention that even touches on it is in John chapter 14. If you look at John 14, verses 1 through 3, these are the words of Christ. In the upper room, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's the closest thing to what we have in 1 Thessalonians 4. The revelation of a previously unrevealed mystery. It's a glorious hope. So when a loved one dies as a believer, rest assured, you should have comfort for them and for you. As Thomas Akempis put it, to hope in in Christ, above all things, is the strongest solace of his servants. What will happen? The dead will be raised in Christ. What will not happen? Living believers at the time of Christ's appearing will not precede dead believers when the dead and living believers are raised in Christ. What will it be like? What will it be like? The first thing that gets pointed out is it will be loud it's going to get loud <laughs> it's going to get loud and it will be personal you think about the first coming of christ we celebrate at christmas it was quiet it was unassuming this will be loud this will be visible this will be personal verse 16 the lord himself jesus christ himself will descend he will come down from heaven with the cry of a command a shout my family's always telling me I talk too loud. And what I just did is nothing compared to what we will hear. A shout uh, it was a word used by, by shipmasters to rowers, rowing, uh, military officers to soldiers, hunters to their hounds, charioteers to their horses. If it's used in a military context, it, it means a battle cry. We're talking Braveheart charge. Battle cry, it's a loud, authoritative cry shouted in great excitement. There will be a cry of command. And there will be the voice of an archangel. Archangel, uppermost rank of angel with, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Trumpets used by Jews in festivals. Uh, trumpets are associated with uh, appearances of God, theophanies. Uh, they're associated with the end of all time. They're linked with the resurrection of the dead. And it says, then the dead in Christ will rise first. 
They'll come down and they'll be reunited, their souls reunited with their bodies. The dead in Christ now are in union with Christ. And they will be first to experience the glory of Christ's appearing in this reunion. The Lord himself will descend. It's Jesus doing it. Until then, he remains in heaven. And there will be the voice of the archangel. Only Michael is named an archangel in the Bible, but it seems by Daniel 10 that there are more than one. But it could be the, the angel Mar Michael, whose voice is heard, same as in Daniel 12, Israel's resurrection. But it will be in a moment. It will be in the twinkling of an eye. And the dead will rise first. They will not miss the rapture. That's what Paul is correcting. They won't miss the rapture. They'll be the first ones up. And the trumpet of God will sound. And this is not the judgment trumpets of, of Revelation. This is like the trumpet of Exodus, which called the people out of the camp to meet God. This is a trumpet of rescue. This is a Zechariah 9.14. The Lord will appear and sound the trumpet trumpet. And it will get loud. It will be booming. That's not even that loud. I don't see any, any of you holding your ears right this moment. William Hendrickson called it the noisiest verse in the Bible. The coming of Christ will be loud and public and his teaching is meant to comfort your loved ones who have died in Christ before you aren't going to miss this moment. Think about it. When God intervened in history in the, in the first coming of Christ, he will do so at his return. It's, it should alleviate all the apprehensions that believers have about believers who die. This gives your hope objective reality. It will be loud. It will be personal. And it will also, as verse 17 will tell us, be instantaneous. We call it the imminent return of Christ. Any moment. Think about it. The first coming of Christ to Bethlehem was, was a long time coming. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Hundreds of years of expectation. This will happen in a moment. We, we all like to plan our lives out. You can't plan this out. It's going to just happen. Verse 17, then. So following what just happened. Speedily, by the way, speedily following the event that just went before, we who are alive, who are left, who remain, all the Christians alive at that time, right? Paul didn't know God's timing. He spoke as if it could happen any time. All Christians in all times believe that this event is very near. He says we will be caught up. That's where we get our, our idea of rapture. Caught up means to snatch up, seize, Carry off by force, rapture, in a sudden swiftness. Like, have you ever watched an eagle, like, swoop down and get a field mouse for a snack? Just sudden swiftness, a sudden swoop, a sudden force that cannot be resisted. You're not going to go, oh, I'm not packed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready. I didn't get to do all these things in my life. That's okay. No one else will get to do those things either, and you won't be thinking about those things. We'll be caught up after the dead come forth. Their spirits, already with the Lord, are joined to resurrected new bodies, and 
living Christians will be raptured, literally snatched away, suddenly snatched away, caught up, raptured. And the Latin word raptus meaning rapture. It will happen like the blink of an eye. You don't even think about blinking. And all these things will happen in rapid sequence. The living will undergo this instant change from mortality to immortality. And they will be insusceptible to death. And they, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be somewhere in the space between earth and heaven, in the spheres. We're just going to be dangling out there. You're going to be like, now I can fly. I've always wanted to fly, now I can do. Together with resurrected believers, they will ascend enveloped in clouds. You know when you're flying an airplane and you, you go through clouds? Every time I do that, I think, I hope there's not a mountain after this cloud. You know? I just think that way. But the clouds, and they, they part, and it's open again. We're going to be in clouds, enveloped in clouds to meet the Lord, somewhere in the space between earth and heaven. Interesting word is meet. In fact, stacks of books have been written about it. I've read a lot of those stacks of books. And I've reviewed some of them this week, and it's like, wow. People make a big deal about the word meet. M-E-E-T. The Greek word was used for a, an official delegation of an ancient city that would be sent out to greet a visiting dignitary. The, the dignitary, the visitor, would be formally met by the citizens, and then they would ceremonially escort the visitor back into the city. When Roman legions were dispatched to go into a, a foreign country in war, their, their standards bore the letters SPQR, Senatus Populus Q Romanus, the Senate and the people of Rome, because military conquests were for, for all the people. The army could be gone for two or three years. They would come back. They would have their, their the, uh, captured uh, you know, prisoners in chains. They would camp outside the city. They, they would send a messenger into the city to tell the Senate and the people they had returned. And the people would start prepping for receiving these conquering heroes. They would go out. A trumpet would sound. And they would go out to where the army was camped and join the soldiers marking, mar marching back into the city because this was their victory too. Now here, Jesus comes back and believers, dead and alive, will be caught up in the air to meet him and join in his triumph and participate in the glory of it all. Now, some of you are way too concerned with what I'm going to say next. This passage does not tell us what happens next. Whether, and, and here's the thing, if you're thinking it through, you're like, okay, so caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So you're, you're in the air, now where are you going after that? Are you coming back down to earth to... to, to uh, to accompany Jesus back to earth, or are you going, keep on going up to heaven? That's the question. Meet, the, meet Jesus in the air, 
it doesn't say whether they're coming back down to earth or up to heaven. And do they go on to heaven or do they come back to earth? And is he going to take us out of the world or is he lifting us up to participate with him in returning to earth? And again, I think some of you are way too concerned about that question. Visitors would be formally met by delegation of citizens and escorted back to the city. And so a lot of, Christ, a lot of people will say, a lot of Christians will say, okay, the Christians go out to meet the Lord and return with him as he continues to earth. Advocates of this view would say, well, it's in Matthew 25, it's in Acts 28. But I think that there is an answer embedded in this text that solves the issue, at least sufficiently for us to move on through the text. Christians being suddenly snatched away rather than advancing on their own is sufficient, I think, to solve the issue. A meeting in the air would be pointless unless uh, believers continue on to heaven with the Lord who has come to meet with them, and the immediate destination then would be the Father's house, heaven. Interestingly, too, it says God will bring, continuing, then, and, and then we meet, and then the movement is heavenward. So continuing the movement heavenward after the meeting in the air until the arrival in the Father's presence. Now, a lot of people have different views on this. And the rapture of the church, again, books and books have been written about it, is one small part of biblical theology. But it is the next thing up in terms of end times events. It's the next thing. So it can happen at any moment. We want to know the full counsel of God. We, this is touching the important issue of our hope and, and our expectation. We can ask the question, where does the rapture fit with regard to the tribulation? It seems, as you follow through this passage, the rapture rescues us from the wrath of the day of the Lord and from tribulation. But those are things for another day and for other passages. Not everybody agrees this supports a pre-tribulational view of the rapture. But every Christian must set their hope in Christ because this passage is telling you not about end times views, but about what Jesus is going to do and saying, don't be upset, don't be worried, don't be frazzled, don't be troubled, don't be deceived. Don't forget what the Word of God says about this. As a wise, humble theologian once said, we should proceed in dependence upon God for illumination and with profound respect and tolerance for other Christians of equal or greater gift and of integrity who arrive at somewhat different results. But throughout all the debates about how this is going to come about, Everybody misses the most important thing. The most important aspect of this passage. The, the most important truth that we are to be grasping and that we are to, to cling to. Everybody misses that. Look at verse 17 again. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It doesn't stop there. This is the biggest part right here. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
That's the most important aspect. The ultimate anticipation is not about being raised. It's about being with Jesus. The thought of that, as I was, as I was praying through this, this message, even last night as I was going to bed, that brought me to tears of joy. That we will be with Jesus forever. Whatever happens after that, you're not going to be thinking about the views you held. You're going to be with Jesus forever from that moment on. Nothing will change that. That's what we rejoice in. This complete transformation, but also this never-ending union with Jesus that at that moment will be absolutely cemented. That is the most important part. So whatever happens Subsequently, we have assurance that we will always be with Jesus from that moment onward. The point of this passage is the glorious hope in Christ's return anchors your soul. This is about hope. This is about expectation of what God will do. The rapture, this miraculous transportation of all living Christians to heaven at the return of Jesus. It's our airlift out of clear and present danger. Michael Vlock called it that, an, an evacuation for the church before the day of the Lord begins. It won't be secret. It'll be visible. It'll be bodily. It'll be transformative for us. It will be transforming for those whose souls have been with Jesus and their bodies get reunited. And it will be the most transformational, triumphant event the most amazing event that you have ever experienced in your entire existence. The angels told the disciples, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will do come in like manner as you saw him go. As he left visibly in the Shekinah cloud of glory, he will come again visibly on this cloud of glory. What do we do with this? What do we do with this knowledge? We do what verse 18 says. We don't, we don't sinfully divide. We don't fight about end times views. We strongly encourage each other with glorious hope. Verse 18, therefore, encourage. It's a present active imperative. Literally exhort and beg one another to believe this. Encourage one another with these words. That Christ's return is promised. I will come again, he says. It's personal. This Jesus bodily will come in the same way, visible, the, the same way that you saw him go. And it's imminent in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. So be ready. The Lord who ascended from the Mount of Olives to heaven will descend bodily from heaven. And his coming will be sing signaled by a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And it will be a very loud moment some are more concerned with convincing and converting others to their side than being reassured that not even death can separate a person who's beloved of God in Christ from his love and his presence and his salvation this passage is not meant to teach us a certain view but to encourage Christians about believers who have died. A lot of confusion has been created by probably a lot of well-meaning Christians, but it's created conflict and caustic 
condescending opinions about this event when we should clearly see this. All Christians agree with this. The dead believers will be resurrected. Living believers will be suddenly airlifted and reunited with believing loved ones. And we will be with the Lord forever. That's the truth of the matter. We will be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another. Don't engage in speculation regarding its timing. Just believe the promises. Don't make predictions. And, and this sets the expectancy for the church for all time. Coming will be sudden and unexpected. It's any moment possibility. Next event on the prophetic calendar is rapture. The best end times view for you to hold is the one who, that helps you love Jesus the most, live for his glory, and long for his return. This eager, expectant anticipation. John Wesley put it this way, the spirit in the heart of the true believer says with earnest desire, come Lord Jesus. John Calvin put it this way, we must hunger after Christ until the dawning of that great day when our Lord will fully manifest the glory of his kingdom. Dear believer today, God wants your hope fixed firm in these truths. Jesus' birth told us why the eternal son of God came to earth. The incarnation planned before the world began to save sinners. The glorious hope. In 2021, you should not just be thinking about how a baby was born. The soft, sentimental Christmas that helps you simply feel better about yourself is not the one God intends. It's glorious hope in Christ's return that anchors your soul. Christ came to die and to rise again and to be exalted and to return. See, if love is the key to Christmas, hope is its anchor. It anchors your soul. This eager anticipation, this longing, where we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, come again to take us. As, as Paul told the Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like Simeon with that God-given bucket list where he was awaiting the consolation of Israel. That term means the comprehensive fulfillment of the messianic hope. You can rest assured it will happen. But as Bonhoeffer put it, the Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. A season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And you think about this passage. It started with ignorance in verse 13. It ends in hope, in hope, in, in encouragement. It, in, think about what Jesus did. Comes into a world full of grief and ignorance and hopelessness. And he comes to be born and die for sin. And he is going to return to this world of ignorance and grief and hopelessness to take us to be with him forever. In a sudden certainty, we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, if it were not so, I, I would have told you. He told us. Don't miss this. You might leave today with more questions and answers, but don't miss the point. The concern of this passage is pastoral. It's not eschatological. It's to open your eye to transforming truth encourage you not to confuse you this passage tells you you have hope for tomorrow if you're a christian if you're not a believer you have no hope for today the world doesn't give you any guarantees there is no certainty 
beyond what God has said. Death, the Christian does not have the final word. False teachers and human speculation and confusion do not have the final word. God does. Glorious hope anchors your soul. 1 Timothy 1.15 tells us it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If your heart is still beating and blood is still pumping and your lungs are filled with air and you're not a Christian, you need to surrender to Christ now. Cicero said, while there is life, there is hope. Just surrender to the glorious hope brought to you by the holy God. The anchor holds because he is God. For every Christian, our hope is in the perfect Savior who will present us perfect before him and we will dwell with him forever. We will be with him forever. We are awaiting the return of our king. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He, death will be no more. And I, I hope that you would look forward this Christmas to the glorious hope of the appearing of Christ. Someday, there won't be any more pain. Our hearts will beat right. Our minds will work right. We won't fight. Someday, freedom from sin, freedom from tyranny, Freedom from Satan, freedom from hatred. Someday, we won't be afraid of snakes and spiders and the dark, and we'll all like broccoli. But whatever comes after the rapture, we're going to be with Jesus. I remember in 2006, right before I came to Pastor Grace Church, we were coming to Grace. All five of our kids were younger and smaller than they are now. And Savannah, our fourth youngest um she was five i think she was four and a half five years old at the time and she didn't understand the concept of we're going to this new church and i was trying to explain it to her and i don't know if she had the idea or i had the idea but i said well, let's drive on by let's drive by the church and let's just kind of drive and see it so we did we drove over here and we we went through the parking lot she saw the the buildings and what have you and she turns to me and just says okay like, I can go here now. I, I've seen it. She's had to have a glimpse. And I think this passage is that for us. A glimpse of what it will be like where you say, okay, awesome. Now I'm going to live for the glory of God until he returns, until Christ returns. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. People were crying for that before the first Christmas, and we're crying for it even now louder, much louder, much more pronounced. And Lord, we thank you for your grace to us in giving us these truths. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you left heaven the first time to come to earth for us, and that you will leave heaven again to take us from earth to be with you. Thank you, Lord, that you will return one day, and when you do, you will not be coming for your church, but you will be coming with your church, an event reserved only for those whose hope is in you. I pray, Lord, that everyone who hears these words would have their hope firmly fixed on Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.